the Buddha said, this evening I'd like to begin the uh, shared contemplation together by considering the Buddha's discourse on the cultivation of kindness, who we refer to and recorded as the Karaniya Metta Sutta, which we often recite in translation in English. And this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. And, and you've probably heard of it many times, and I think it's worth... Uh, considering why the Buddha gave such emphasis to this aspect. Mm. Kindness, well, it's nice kindness, but what about, what about profound wisdom and insight and emptiness and perhaps some of these other aspects of the, um, the teachings that we might feel drawn to? And it's interesting to look back in the traditional teachings and see where this teaching actually came from. What was the occasion that the, the Buddha delivered this discourse for the first time, the, uh, the Karaniya Metta Sutta? And it was a situation where there were 500 disciples of the Buddha who had received their instruction on formal meditation and were given their subject of meditation and Apparently they went off and to the forests and made determined effort and diligently gave themselves to this the practices that they'd been instructed in and all of them felt that it wasn't working. All of them were disturbed by negative, frightening images, frightening thoughts, and in fact some of them got sick. And it got to the point where they were about to give up and move on from that particular forested area. And they sensibly went to see the Buddha first and presented to the Buddha the the disturbances they'd been suffering from. And this was the occasion where the Buddha gave the discourse on kindness. And it's notable that when he heard the difficulties they'd been having with coming to terms with being overwhelmed by fear there wasn't any sort of criticism on the part of the Buddha in fact quite the opposite there was a teaching that would help it's not like after all these years of all the effort I've made and all the instruction I've given you and all the teachings you still get caught up in fear and no judgment, not a hint of judgment at all, but rather the opposite, uh, a teaching that's aimed at helping. And something that we can take away from that, I would suggest, is that 
when we ourselves are feeling threatened or feeling overwhelmed even by fear that we're very careful not to fall into the habit of judging ourselves because it's really easy it's really easy to get self-judgmental self-critical when we're feeling afraid fear is so unsettling so threatening so painful or can be So, something to consciously register in our practice is not just to wait until we are overwhelmed by fear, to register this example of the Buddha that when there's fear, to turn to the teachings, not to turn to the habit of judging. Mm -hmm. The tendency all of us have is when Something, some strong sensation like fear arises or some positive sensation like gladness arises for that matter. It's very easy for us to be defined by that feeling, by that sensation. Like last week, last Sunday I was talking about how much difficulty people have coming to terms with not knowing, with the feeling of uncertainty and was suggesting that to a large degree that the reason that we get lost in the painful feeling of uh, dislike, of uncertainty, is because we allow ourselves to get lost in the feeling of liking certainty. Mm. Well, similarly with fear, it's worth developing the skills needed so that we can really contemplate what's really going on here. Not just fighting the fear, not just judging the fear. It's so easy to do. So I shouldn't feel afraid. If I had it together by now, I wouldn't be feeling afraid. Together people don't feel afraid. Everybody feels afraid, unless you finish your work and you're awakened. The rest of us all feel afraid. Fear also is part of our practice. And so how to equip ourselves so that when we encounter fear there we don't just default to the unkindness of being judgmental. Certainly being judgmental is not an act of kindness. So let's remember this, the occasion the Buddha gave this this tremendously important teaching on the Karaniya Metta Sutta. We too, when we're faced with fear, would be wise to take care to consider the teachings, not just to be pulled into analyzing how can I get rid of this fear, but to remember the teachings, reflect the teachings, find ways of equipping ourselves so as to be able to include the fear in practice. Hmm. It's uh, very common hmm, for people to these days anyway, to automatically react with something as painful as fear, with being judgmental. I often talk about CJD, which is, of course, some people are familiar with CJD as Kratzfeld-Jakob disease or mad cow disease. But for me, it's compulsive judging disorder. This compulsive judging disorder that most of us, if not all of us, suffer from can really undermine a lot of the good effort that we're making. 
a lot of the potential for well-being that there is here now already, we can undermine it by this compulsive judging disorder. And if we can get a handle on that, that already makes a difference. If we catch ourselves being judgmental, then just to step back and look at it and say, is that helping? I'm not talking about skillful discernment and equanimous analysis of the situation, but that compulsive judging, that habitual taking position against ourselves all the time, which probably most of us are familiar with. Not just judging ourselves, but also judging others. Where does it come from? Well, if we look into it, it's it's perfectly understandable, it's perfectly logical. Given a materialistic education, with the emphasis on discriminative intelligence, we just enjoy picking and choosing, accepting and rejecting, agreeing and disagreeing, taking sides. Discriminative intelligence... Well, of course, it's got very valuable function, directing attention in discriminative analytical ways can be great benefit. But it can also really throw us out of balance. Too much discriminative intelligence, it becomes compulsive, it contributes to something like this compulsive judging disorder. We can't just accept things as they are and then dispassionately receive and conduct a feeling investigation into what's what's really happening here what is this fear all about what's it based on, where's it coming from these are really important questions but if we're always taking sides compulsively taking sides for and against then something as unpleasant as fear arises and we judge it and then it's really difficult to conduct a feeling investigation we don't have a sense of spaciousness around that feeling that gives us the perspective and then we become terrified we can become terrified which is tragic so the teachings encourage us to find ways of untangling the knot of the contracted, frightened heart by using the spiritual exercises. and So all of us are familiar with the emphasis that obviously the Buddha put on cultivating mindfulness, cultivating restraint, cultivating wise reflection. These are like tools in our spiritual toolkit that help us to discipline or to train attention. When, we, when attention is not trained, it doesn't mean to say we don't have any attention. We do have attention, but our attention is dissipated distracted, diluted. But when we discipline attention, or we train attention, then it becomes really useful. It's like training the water that runs off the roof, like this conservatory we have here attached to the Dummer Hall, the green roof on that conservatory. The water runs off that green roof into the, the guttering and then down the pipe and there's some fancy plumbering where it goes into a, a water tank and and then a tap, and, and you probably, you, well, you obviously you can't see the, the plumbing underground, but then you turn that tap on and it channels this fresh rainwater into the pond out in front of the shrine in the memorial garden. And that's a very nice pond, and it's very nice for the fish in that pond that it's got fresh rainwater. It's not being topped up with chlorinated tap water, which 
promotes the growth of algae. So how did that rain that's falling on the roof right now, how does it get from the roof into that pond? Well, it requires training. It requires direction, being given direction. So in a similar way, skillfully training attention so that the potential we have for exercising our interest in reality. What is the reality of fear? Not just, please give me a belief system so as to compensate for this painful feeling I have, a fantasy that I can believe in. What is the actuality of fear, this contraction that turns the heart cold and causes illness in the body and confuses our minds and we feel victims to? What is it actually? Well, as I was saying, if we, we, that question is relevant to us, then this is what hopefully inspires us to take up these spiritual exercises. And we make much out of mindfulness. You know, that quality of attentiveness that means we're, we're present for what's going on. We're not distracted. A kind of, a kind of recollectability. We can recollect ourselves. We're all here, basically. When somebody somebody's really mindful, that means they're all there. When somebody's not all mindful, it's like they're not all there. And we know what that means. Mm-hmm. There's an expression in Thai that Ajahn Chah used to say, when you say, kaat sati like or ba nan, which literally translates as, when you're short on mindfulness, you're actually crazy. Ba nan. So making much out of mindfulness making much out of restraint, seeing how if our mind is always just darting after this object, this fantasy, that experience, that sensation, then that we're actually victims and our attention is, is easily distracted and kind of like call it low-grade, low-grade attention. So how can we really pay attention in a skillful effective way to the painful experience of fear if our attention is not trained. Likewise with wise reflection, like using our intelligence that we're fortunate to have to ask the right kind of question. Sometimes we're compulsively asking questions and that's not wise reflection. Sometimes we need to just be quiet to cultivate stillness, steadiness. Stop the inner verbiage and refresh and renew and then come back. And even though the questions might be difficult, there's encouragement the Buddha gave to ask these questions so as attention penetrates beyond the way things appear to be. Fear can appear so self-defining. Fear can appear so ultimate and yet we have this opportunity if we wish to engage it to train attention so that we can look at our relationship with fear do we have to be defined by it are we actually victims Mm. also we'll talking about the the Karani Metta Sutta the discourse on cultivation of kindness will also the encouragement to cultivate compassion which can be particularly beneficial if somebody is suffering from fear and anxiety. 
if you're caught up already in fear and anxiety and you know, try to cultivate kindness, then it can be like smearing cream over a, a boil. It's, it's not necessarily what's called for. When we're suffering, what's called for is to receive the suffering without being lost in the suffering, to receive the fear and anxiety without being defined by the fear and anxiety. And one way of doing that is to register the force of compassion, contemplate the power of compassion. And one way of doing that is to do the formal exercise of bringing to heart and mind the image of somebody that we really care about, maybe a close family member or a close friend, a sibling or a parent. And the suffering that we're experiencing right now, the pain, the fear, the anxiety, we gently, carefully imagine that other person having to go through that suffering. And sensing how that gives rise in our hearts, the wish, uh, maybe it's even a perceivable felt wish, that that person not have to go through such suffering, to feel the wishing, the conscious wishing that they not suffer. May they be free from such suffering, feeling that feeling in the heart. But at the same time, Intentionally, consciously thinking that thought in our head, the thought form of may they be free from suffering and the feeling of wishing they be free, conscious wishing. This is not a time to start investigating the selflessness of desire. That's That's another contemplation for another time. At this point we're engaging in desire, wishing that beings be free from suffering and associating over and over again, associating that feeling with the thought. So this becomes our meditation exercise. And not just an empty thought, of, may beings be free from suffering, may beings be free from suffering, but associating with a feeling. You know, we develop skillful contemplations, that images that give rise to that sense. May that person, may my brother, may my mother, not have to endure this suffering. And then we make much of it, like those other tools in our spiritual toolkit I was referring to there, in mindfulness, restraint, wise reflection. This is another tool in our spiritual toolkit, conscious cultivation of compassion. We're not avoiding the pain of fear. We're interested in developing a conscious, effective investigation of it. And so as an exercise, we can give rise to that feeling, that thought of may beings be free from suffering. And maybe we start with somebody else, but and then we work around in all sorts of people, everybody and anybody, including ourselves, particularly ourselves. And may I be free from suffering can be a, a wonderfully relieving discovery when we find we're allowed to do that. We're actually <laughs> not only allowed to do it, we really ought to be doing it. Yeah. Or like the Karani Metta Sutta, the first line of the, the Buddha's discourse on kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. Well, the same can apply for not just metta, but karuna or compassion. 
this is what should be done. The cultivation of kindness. And, and then see if that doesn't give us a better perspective. You see, maybe that this fear that was previously so dominant, so possibly even overwhelming, doesn't have to be so dominant, doesn't have to be so ultimate. Everybody feels afraid. I mean, you see it, you look at other people, you mean, maybe you're on a bus or a train and you look at those people and think, these people are too, they've had tears flowing down their cheek. These people have suffered loneliness, sadness, disappointment, fear. And then connect with the feeling in the heart. May they be free from suffering. May they be free from suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. So using these spiritual exercises in a way which hopefully, eventually, we discover introduces us to a different perspective on something as painful as fear, anxiety. Maybe we start to sense some space around this mood. Maybe we start to sense the awareness in which this activity is taking place. The difficulty is always, always, not what's taking place, but the fact that we lose ourselves in it. We lose ourselves in the fear. We lose ourselves in the sadness. We lose ourselves in the disappointment. We lose ourselves in the ill will. But in what is all this activity of disappointment, sadness, ill will, fear, anxiety, doubt, in what is it taking place? Hence we have the encouragement of I go for refuge to the Buddha. I go for refuge to selfless awareness that has the potential for knowing Yes, there's fear. Feel the fear. Don't get lost in the fear. As we encounter these difficult moods and challenges, fear and anxiety, or even terror, the theory that we're contemplating this evening, already maybe that helps us a little bit, we need to bring it into the whole body-mind, develop a whole body-mind perspective, a whole body-mind awareness, so that we're less defined by the mood and have some sense of the awareness that has the potential of knowing the mood. We do have to be careful, though, as we proceed, because if we find we've got an interest, okay, I'm interested in the reality of fear, I'm going to start digging around and looking into the sources of fear in my life. And, yeah. Well, if we go at it heedlessly and get too assertive and demanding, then there's a risk that will unearth more than we can handle and then suffer serious overwhelm, which would be really regrettable. All of us, as I say, all of us have fears, different degrees, from different stages of life. But the thing is how to include it in practice, how to find that kind of relationship with this mood, with this activity that's taking place in awareness, whereby our intelligence is not obscured and our feeling awareness is not obstructed. 
If the fear is too intense, it's very difficult to get a perspective. So hopefully we don't wait until the, we have such intense feelings. We develop these spiritual potentials, and mindfulness, and restraint, wise reflection, compassion, patience, and developing these so that when something does impact on the heart, hopefully there's a chance that we won't get lost in it. And then we can start to get more interested in cleaning out these old, sometimes long-time unaddressed fears, experiences, experiences that from an early stage of your life where we weren't ready or willing or able to receive the experience, so we denied it and it got locked in the system somewhere and became an obstruction. The more we practice, if we're practicing rightly, well, all of it has to be cleaned out, all of it has to be dealt with, and it can be surprising, some of the fears that we have. I can remember some time ago recognizing and eventually owning up to the fear I had the strong fear of being misunderstood. I can imagine maybe where it came from, but I don't know. But what was useful was to find that there was some potential to feel the fear of being misunderstood and to investigate and investigate my relationship with it. Sometimes I would catch myself talking to people really loudly and in a very assertive way. And What was that about? And what was behind it was... And somehow the assumption that if I yelled at people, there's a better chance they might understand me. <laughs> Not very clever. But what was behind that? An unacknowledged fear. Fear of being misunderstood. Sometimes we need a label. Mm-hmm. Maybe we feel something, but we don't necessarily know what it is. And so just experimenting, you know. What is this fear? Is this fear of death? Is this fear of... What? And then just wait and listen silently, patiently. Fear of not being understood. Oh, that's interesting. Which is similar to the fear of not being accepted. For some people, uh, the fear of rejection is tremendously powerful. What matters is, do we have the skills, do we have the capacity to relativize the mood Or is it ultimate? Is it completely self-defining? When it feels completely self-defining, that is really, really painful, really damaging to our nervous system, to our hearts and minds and our bodies. How do we protect ourselves by becoming lost in these moves again? Well, not wait until they come up, but prepare ourselves with confidence, with understanding, with conviction that these spiritual exercises have this purpose. Yes, the material education we got gave us all sorts of abilities for exercising discriminative intelligence, but what about unitive intelligence? What about that quality of attention that brings the heart and mind together, that conduces to stillness and clarity? Maybe that's something else. So we hopefully invest in these Potentials, and then when we do come across the fear of rejection, which could be very threatening, we could, maybe we can just feel it and then have a dialogue with it. Mm. Mm. Or the fear, for some people, it's the, 
the fear of being dismissed or the fear of not being seen it's a very understandable early stages of life for a lot of people a, a deep sense of pain from not having been recognised not having been seen not having been appreciated and if that's not recognised what it is and let go of and somebody could live their whole life you know, it's just always trying to be seen trying to be recognised when we attach to the fear of not being seen the fear of not being appreciated then we also generate the desire to be seen the desire to be appreciated and so we can be investing all our effort and energy in this, this unfortunate pursuit of recognition which keeps throwing us out of balance more and more we depended upon other people praising us it's like again we were talking about this last week and, uh, if you attach to one then you condition the other like we attach to the fear of failure then we're always striving to be number one if we're desperately afraid of being seen as a failure then we, we condition this desire to always succeed if we're attached to or get lost in the fear of criticism then we're desperately always trying wanting to be praised and appreciated so we're enslaved to what are traditionally known as the worldly dhammas or the worldly winds that blow us around praise and blame gain and loss comfort and discomfort honour and insignificance Yet, if we have this, we have this opportunity to develop these spiritual potentials. So that, however painful it is, whether it's fear of not being understood, fear of rejection, fear of not being seen, or fear of being seen, for some people it's the opposite. They don't want to be seen. They want to disappear for whatever whatever reason there might be for that fear being conditioned. The point is, can we? Are we able to generate those qualities of heart and mind that is able to outshine those shadows that make us feel so threatened? Many of you will be familiar with the, the Dhammapada verse, um, Dhammapada verse 5, which is, Never by hatred is hatred conquered only by readiness to be kind. This is eternal law. Mm. Mm. Never by hatred is hatred conquered. The apparent reality is when somebody hurts us, uh, the apparent reality, which we can be fooled by, suggests that we, if we hurt them back, things are going to be better. Well, the Buddha, from his perfectly clear perspective of wisdom and compassion, recognises that never works. Never by hatred is hatred conquered. Mm. Only by readiness to be kind. This is eternal law. So hatred is very similar to fear. That the apparent nature of fear can be like an enemy. We've got to fight it. When actually, that's the last thing that's needed. What we need to do is to open up, to find the space in which we can receive it, to expand our awareness so we have a sense of perspective on it, we can look at it, then we can investigate and see how beguiling this fear is, to see what conditioned it, to see maybe 
where and when and how we attach and identify as it. With that perspective, there's a possibility of it being let go. Well, similarly, again, talking before about cultivating compassion, generating that warmth of heart that contributes to possibly a sense of spaciousness. So let's remember whatever the causes that trigger the fear, that we have enough mindfulness, enough restraint, enough wise reflection to not assume that it means there's something wrong with me. It's very easy to do, to get judgmental. However, if we exercise in the way that we've been considering this evening, then there's a chance that we'll learn from the fear. The fear can just look like an enemy. Maybe, possibly, fear has really got something to teach us. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.